Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Either you don't live in a neighborhood that floods, or you're all witches because you float. It's a Monty Python joke if you're not familiar with it. I'm so happy to see you. You know, if you spend enough time with the prayer book, inevitably, favorites rise to the top. Favorite prayers, favorite phrases. And I want to share with you two prayers that I turn to time and time again, both in my personal prayer life, but also these are prayers that I share with others on a regular basis. Our first prayer is found on page 829 of the prayer book. And I'm not going to force you to look, but I am paying attention to who's not pulling out a prayer book right now. <laughs> on page 829, now, it's prayer number 47, and it's titled, For Young Persons. Y'all, you are young persons compared to God. So this prayer is for you, regardless of your age. God, our Father, you see your children growing up in an unsteady and confusing world. Show them that your ways give more life than the ways of the world, and that following you is better than chasing after selfish goals. Help them to take failure, not as a measure of their worth, but as a chance for a new start. Give them strength to hold their faith in you and to keep alive their joy in your creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, the second prayer is on, pra on page 836. 836 under Thanksgivings, and it's titled, A General Thanksgiving. Yet another example of the Episcopal Church's lack of creativity in naming things. But I love this prayer, A, because it's beautiful and wonderful, and B, it was written by a man named Charlie Price. And when I was in my first year of seminary, I stayed in Price Hall, a dormitory named after the author of this prayer. So let us pray. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts, and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. 
Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life, for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, and for his rising to life again in which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your Spirit, that we may know Christ and make him known, and through him at all times and in all places, may give thanks to you in all things. Amen. So what did these two prayers have in common? They both reference something. They both use the same word. Starts with an F. Failure. Failure. Now raise your hand if you love failing at things. Uh-huh, that's what I thought. What comes to mind when you think of failure? We've already established, we don't like it. So is failure something that you see as a mark of your ability or as a mark of your bravery? Think about how failure makes you feel in your body. How do you respond to failure? Do you work so hard to ensure that failure never happens? Or is failure something that is just inevitable and therefore something to be embraced? Yes, we all work very hard to avoid failure. In our society, in our culture, Failure equals bad. Failure, failure equals loser. Failure equals less than. It doesn't feel good. It physically makes our bodies hurt. And if you've worked exceptionally hard at something, when it fails, it has the ability to make you question everything that has led to that moment. It leaves us feeling completely unmoored, as if we're standing on shifting sand. In our epistle reading, Paul struggles with failure. Not just failure in his ability to write clear sentences, mm. but really failure in his ability to follow the law his failure of discipleship. He struggles with the failure of making Christ known and to follow Christ. In our gospel, Jesus laments the failure of the generations, and I would include our generation, to recognize God in their midst. God sends John the Baptist, but y'all just complain. He doesn't dance enough. And Jesus, well, Jesus dances too much and with the wrong people. We pick the song, and then we expect God to conform to it because we trust our wisdom and our power more than we talk, more than we trust God. Talk about failure. 
But what if failure is not where the story ends? In every industry, in every aspect of life, failure rarely gets the last word. Fear of failure leads to the death of innovation. Fear of failure holds us back from brave living. Fear of failure keeps us from the rest that Jesus promises. It is failure that propels us forward if we are brave enough to see failure as a gift. This is the call of Christ to his disciples. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let go of success in all things. Let go of the constant need to prove yourself. Release yourself from perfection from the need to be the smartest kid in the room. Be content with enough. All of this is to know Jesus. And knowing Jesus is an open door to lay down all that burdens you for an easier and lighter load. Now, the rest of Jesus isn't that Jesus will do everything for us, and we just get to lay back and do nothing. Rather, the rest of Christ is found in purposeful work. Yoke is a working tool. The rest of Christ is found in purposeful work. It is the work of a disciple. The entrance to this rest requires us to admit that we are weary and that we are carrying heavy burdens. The entrance to this rest requires us to, to admit that we have failed, that we have trusted too much in our own ways and have not trusted enough in the grace of God to meet our inadequacies with love. To acknowledge failure as not just inevitable, but as a gift, is to embrace the grace of God in transformative ways. It is what allows us to ask for help and receive it, thankfully. It is what allows us to offer help with generous hearts and quick hands. It releases us from judgment of self and of others. How might your life be changed if you see failure not as a measure of your worth, but as our prayer for young persons says, 
as a chance for a new start. How might, your rest, how might you find rest in acknowledging your dependence upon God as we prayed in our general thanksgiving in the midst of disappointments and failures? In the midst of his failure, Paul found gratitude and comfort in the saving embrace of Christ. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will save me from this body this thing that does nothing but fail. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we be like Paul in the midst of our failures, and may we find rest in the purposeful work of discipleship found in Christ. Amen.